This week in the parish of bourses and market structure, there's a shock new Chinese regulator as we celebrate a wonderful Hong Kong triple. While the LSEG can't sell you the tech for an exchange, but they can open another centre of excellence for technology. And best of all, we have a golden commencement speech as Exchange Invest celebrates its 10th birthday. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 194. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the many events and happenings from the past seven days can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox. More details from our very funky new beta website, exchangeinvest.com. Sign up now, only $349 per user year. And more significantly, you too can get access to all of our more than 10 years of archive data. In BitCarnage this week, no sooner had a raft of US crypto entities settled on a new home overseas then the foreigners started playing up. True, the EU passed MICA, the Market in Cryptocurrency Assets Regulation, but as hardened pros will know, the legislation which exits the Brussels blob may or may not be proximate to the actual regulations which each national supervisory body subsequently enacts. Devil details. Go right ahead and construct a sentence. Meanwhile, in the UK, the UK Parliament's Treasury Committee issued a crypto statement suggesting consumer cryptocurrency trading should be regulated as gambling. The report goes on to say unbacked crypto assets have no intrinsic value and their price volatility exposes consumers to the potential for substantial gains or losses while serving no useful social purpose. These characteristics more closely resemble gambling than a financial service, an impression reinforced by the evidence we have received of consumer behaviour. Needless to say, this caused a fit of the vapours in the crypto community. Presumably the Thames is now littered with not merely toys, but probably prams themselves. Crypto UK strongly disagrees with the Treasury Committee's conclusion, and we are both concerned and disappointed by these claims which are unhelpful, false, fundamentally flawed, and unsubstantiated. The statement fails to reflect the true nature, purpose, and potential of the crypto industry. So says Crypto UK. We say phooey. There's a huge risk here, of course, for the future. However, in the here and now, the UK Parliamentary Committee assessed what is in front of it right now and decided wisely that empty bits bytes moving between acolytes is gambling. On that one, they are indubitably correct in the here and now, and those who disagree are frankly encased with their own lived experience folly. When you analyse cryptocurrency v1.0, it's really tough to disagree on the idea that code on a blockchain such as Bitcoin is nothing more than a token and not something with an underlying value. The potential is 
elsewhere. The problem is that from what I see, the true nature of crypto has to date mostly been a deranged brotopia with vast amounts of crookery and immoral relativism where the morality itself has been broadly absented from a myopic entitled worldview. That has been generously distributed around the world. Looking to the future, it could be a huge issue that digital assets may be wrongly assessed as a gambling tool. But then again, where the crypto v1.0 zealots are getting lost is that ultimately the UK ought to be able to elegantly discern the difference between asset-backed items settled on a blockchain as opposed to empty pixels with no actual proven use case. Moreover, my perma theory here remains that the idiocy is the notion that somehow the digital blockchain settled stuff will be in its own crypto-centric space. In reality, the legacy markets hold a lot of cards and will take the new new DLT thingamy and shamelessly absorb it into their systems, leaving crypto still out there awaiting a resurgimento, which, if it can happen to vinyl and cassettes, can doubtless befall the Model T Fords of New Age money concepts too. In a decade, we won't be talking digital assets and legacy assets. There will be a semi-seamless interoperability between whatever form of ledger is used for settlement and registry. The good news for the likes of Brian Armstrong and CZ could be that North Korea seem to still like crypto, albeit their custody arrangements seem to have a touch more effective altruism growing out of the barrel of a gun, which might not work for our crypto v1.0 accolades. Meanwhile, day by day, I seem to be coming closer to something akin to a Don Cupid of crypto. If you enjoyed this excerpt, you may be interested to know that you can read this kind of material in BitCarnage every day in Exchange Invest. Alternatively, if you want to follow BitCarnage alone, the daily update on happenings in the world of crypto and digital assets, then you can find it as a standalone on Substack. In the main news this week, CME's AGM suffered a shock. Remuneration Committee Chairman Charlie Carey almost came unstuck as a director scraping a bare 54% mandate, while there was a smack in the face of realism to the top of the C-suite, when the advisory vote of the compensation of the company's named executive officers by the Class A and Class B shareholders voting together as a single class was conspicuously not approved. 91.5 million votes for, the better part of 193 million votes against. I entirely get the concept behind the CME's monopoly milking strategy, but it's tough to achieve and be perceived as adding value. They're thus, shareholders become restive. By the way, I also happen to think the concept of monopoly milking is the ultimate in loserville narrow-minded strategies for the parish as a whole and the CME in particular. So, thank goodness, the shareholders have finally aroused from far too many years of fat dividend slumber. I wonder if shareholders and LSEG feel the same way about out-of-his-depth Dave being teed up for an £8 million payoff this year, that's about $10 million, on his fifth year in office, just as he achieves... just as he... he achieves... Um, Hold on, anybody, uh, any, any any guesses out there? Can you help me? I, I mean, there must be something he's done. I, I'm sure, oh, whatever. Elsewhere, back in the European Union, better finance have raised serious concerns over the current trilogues in EU capital market structure and their impact on the retail investment community. Yeah, I am minded to agree here. Even the notion that €100,000 is a block large and scale trade is, frankly, a travesty. At least a gorilla, if you want. Not a million. 
that should be frankly a blocked size is at least 500,000 if not a million. Below that you can trade on exchange for pure transparency. At the point when this pushes the market maker exchange system into chaos, well, it would be a great idea to be considering that too in the often messy world of exchanges, thus advancing the parish with a bit of blood, sweat, tears and presumably several consultations at Brussels level. Hong Kong introduced us to a trio of exciting news items this week. Two for Hong Kong exchanges, one for intercontinental exchange, but all related to the SAR. The Hong Kong exchange itself is poised to propose trading during typhoons at last, which is great news and going to be part of the legacy of Nicholas Agazan's story so far as CEO, as it's been a driving element of the Agazan agenda. At the same time, that technological innovation has also been matched by the brilliant news this week that the Hong Kong Exchange has been celebrating the launch of Swaps Connect. First trades going through the likes of TradeWeb on Stock Connect, etc. in collaboration with CFETS. This is magnificent stuff. Swaps Connect is a whole new realm for yield curve trading, just as indeed the yield curve has become a thing again after a generation broadly living in only economics textbooks for Westerners at least, and within the borders of China, India, Turkey and a few other emerging markets for the rest of us. Equally opening up trading opportunities in Asia. Good news for IceClear Singapore. They're going to be able to provide automated trading services in Hong Kong. That was a relatively mundane headline. And thank you, ICE, for maintaining relatively mundane headlines rather than the hyperbole strewn nonsense that we have to put up with from both a lot of exchanges and EGAD, all of the crypto exchanges all of the time. That mundane headline has a fascinating underpinning. ICE Singapore can now accept Hong Kong clearing members, thus vastly expanding the scope of the ICE Singapore outpost. That's very, very interesting and great news indeed for the whole business of Hong Kong as a financial centre. One financial centre that's not looking so good at the moment, Chicago's empty towers threaten the future of finance trading empire, notes Bloomberg this week. And that's, of course, a problem because the Windy City has become the rather battle-strewn city of violent crime. It takes a brave investor to buy property in a metropolis, hence why the SIBO's building is effectively empty five years on from them starting to try to sell it at 400 La Salle, despite marking the building down by at least 50%. But then again, when you see a 41% rise in crime from 2021 to 2022, which has now been eclipsed by a year-to-date rise of a further 43%, it's not hard to see why investors are a little bit worried about the greater Chicago area, especially given the fact that statistics didn't exactly reflect the crime rate of the Vatican City during 2020 for Chicago either. Indeed, CME CEO Terry Duffy has even gone so far as to state that, yes indeed, the CME group is prepared to leave Chicago if necessary. All that comes against the backdrop of a new mayor and a mayor who thinks that they can introduce a financial transaction tax against the exchanges who are trading in Chicago, who will, I would confidently presume, not be trading in Chicago ever again, or at least not trading from Chicago ever again, as soon as such an FTT would be introduced. Speaking of taxation, 
Withholding tax on cross-border dividends, and this is another story from Better Finance, continues to be a nightmare for investors in the EU. A vast single market failure has been addressed here by Better Finance, which exemplifies the chronic failure of corporate socialist Europe, where the institutions have run roughshod over the law, hang the moral precepts with uh, cum-cumex and cum-cum, decimating various governments' finances. The average citizen, by compared to the institutional investors, is crucified for having the temerity to try to actually invest in EU27 on the basis promised by the single market and conspicuously never delivered by the laughable chimera of Capital Markets Union, which, rather like a cheesy old bar sign, always proclaims free drinks tomorrow, but after a decade has delivered nothing but an expensive, savings-damaging broken promise for investors. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. Results this week. Some fascinating results. Argentina's BIMA, BYMA, they announced incredible incomes jumps of 134%, gross margin jump of 254%, net income jump of 362%, operating margins of 52%, and profits rallying as Argentina's crisis-strewn economy sees national inflation heading north of 100%. Not quite the same degree of inflation in India. Nonetheless, good numbers from both Bombay Stock Exchange, BSE. They saw their net profit rising 24%. National Stock Exchange of India saw its profit rising 19% year on year. New Markets, the Dream Exchange, the first majority black-owned stock exchange in the US, is gearing up for launch. That was originally scheduled for 2021, but covid And that's going to be very exciting given they recently signed up to use Memex technology for their new national market. Meanwhile, if you're looking for some reading during the course of this late spring, early summer period, don't forget you can still pick up a copy of my book, Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World to help you navigate the choppy and exciting waters of both risk and opportunity delivered by the cryptocurrency, blockchain and fintech revolutions in a world of exchanges. While you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive, check out our live stream Tuesday 6pm London time, 1 o'clock New York time. It's the IPO video live show. Check the back episodes on LinkedIn and YouTube via IPO-vid. We had a fabulous discussion this week with Jeffrey Carter, former director of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and indeed also a very well-known pit trader, floor trader therein. And he was discussing how his life journey has arced from the Merck floor to angel funding. Coming up on Tuesday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time, I'm delighted to be welcoming the President and Chairman, respectively, Paul Constantino and Patrick Kenny of the AFM, the Association of Futures Markets, which this year are celebrating their 25th anniversary. In product news this week, the European Parliament has been pouring cold water on a digital euro. That might be something to worry about as Mika comes to the fore in terms of cryptocurrency terms. Meanwhile, the LME is tightening the rules for nickel handling by warehouses. It's now going to require warehouses to feel their nickel bags after the recent heist of nickel where nickel disappeared and turned out to be stones. NSE India, they're gearing up for West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil and Natural Gas Futures. That's against an interesting backdrop where it seems that, well, a lot of Russian investors are managing to move oil and gas into India. And suddenly, lo and behold, 
the European Union has woken up to the idea that a lot of those gas products are being processed and subsequently exported into the European Union, which ought to be a no-no under current Ukraine invasion-related sanctions. Technology, the Pakistan Stock Exchange, successfully launched their new technology trading system on Monday, the May the 15th. That was the second attempt at the upgrade. Prisoners of the exchange market may recall that, of course, we covered this in Exchange Invest and on this podcast previously in October 2021, when designated time schedule DTS had such a tortured launch process that the previous trading system, Katz Karachi Automated Trading System, had to be reinstalled and has been running in the interim until this week. Accusations that the DTCC stock clearinghouse leaked sensitive data will clearly be a concern for all parties concerned. Well, meanwhile, the London Stock Exchange have signed an MOU to set up a tech centre in Hyderabad in India. That seems remarkable, given the fact that, we have to recall, there's a facility in Bucharest with 600 tech workers, which is some sort of central excellence. There's a millennium in Sri Lanka, which was the tech hub centre of excellence LSE acquired all those years ago to digitise their stock market and kickstart them post-SEAC into something truly modern. Yet in recent times, management parsimony and short-sightedness has led to a huge bleed of Sri Lankan staff, all on rather of a for-want-of-a-nail basis. So now we have a whole new campus of a thousand people being mooted in Hyderabad where salaries will start cheaper than London or New York but will rapidly creep up because LSEG is in a hugely competitive market for jobs in that pulsating region. The fact that LSEG obsesses about adding new centres of excellence once again demonstrates that Dave is out of his depth and the LSEG board are lost. The fact remains, LSEG can no longer sell technology for exchange matching and settlement because of their own internal inadequacies. And what's even weirder is I've yet to see any actual media reporting that beyond the pixels of exchange vest. The only source I am aware of having highlighted the LSEG's withdrawal from selling technology for exchanges. CCPs and CSDs. Regulation news this week, big fine for HSBC. They had to pay a $30 million penalty on one level and a $45 million penalty on another in relation to swaps trading. I suppose you'd have to sing this as a song. You talk outside, you trade inside, in, out, in, out, you spoof it all about, you do the swaps hokey-cokey and you turn around. And then the regulator quite reasonably crucifies you. Korean news this week. Leo Lesky, shock, retiring from the trade web board at the end of Q2. He's only been chairman, therefore, for two quarters after being a founder and longtime CEO of the platform. Jacques Egrin is the consummate NED and more importantly, the consummate London Stock Exchange Group insider who's suddenly been launched into the chairmanship, having only recently joined the board after the Refinitiv transaction. In fact, I think he only joined the board a year ago of trade web. A lot of conspiracy theorists might note that Leoleski is impeccably capable and would have made a much more coherent LSEG boss than out of his depth Dave, which might of course have caused unease with the haplessly incapable LSEG C-suite management structure as currently stands. Another shock move, China has named Li Yunze, a former banker, as party secretary of the newly formed National Financial Supervision Management Bureau that regulates thousands of banks, insurers and trust firms. Yi Hui Man, chairman of the China Securities Regulatory Commission, and Xu Heixin, 
chairman of China's Citic Group Corp, were actually amongst the front runners anticipated by investors. This comes as a remarkable blindside, an incredible decision. Not sure what it means for the future of Chinese regulators, particularly given the fact that the Chinese security regulator saw its budgeted staff salaries and benefits fall by 17% at CSRC during 2023. That's a curious situation. Elsewhere, Val Matthews is stepping down as Chief Customer and Operating Officer at the Australian Stock Exchange Group ASX, which leads me to realise that we could actually run a complete podcast just on recent C-suite turnover at the ASX. Finally, this week in Korea News, after over 40 years in the exchange, PRA and physical trading space focused on commodities, Ian Dudden is retiring from S&P Global, which he joined in September 2016. His initial global agriculture price assessments responsibility morphed to include the global metals business, ultimately becoming global pricing director, agriculture. He drove a considerable expansion of the agricultural business in particular at a critical time in the evolution of that industry. Three words only I could say there, Black Sea Wheat, for example. But that's just one of the many achievements that Ian had. All the very, very best to Ian in his next chapter, which he claims is going to be retirement. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, while we were celebrating this week our 10th anniversary, prior to that we'd been brainstorming things to do to celebrate 10 years of Exchange Invest. One thought was a big league speech endorsing markets. While we were pondering that, Adina Friedman stepped on stage last weekend to accept an honorary doctorate and gave the American University AU Business School graduation commencement address with a panache, which is a brilliant endorsement of the finest talents across our parish. Adina's speech is pure gold. Check out our transcript on exchangeinvest.com for this podcast and you can find a link to that speech. It's absolutely magnificent. Three wonderful pointers. In encouraging the business of trust, she said, choose curiosity over judgment, choose relationships over transactions, and choose abundance over scarcity. Bring it on. This speech amounts to a brilliant synopsis of why we wake up in the morning to bring you Exchange Invest and indeed this podcast and advocate tirelessly for the exchange business while in the background seeking ourselves to add improvements to the exchange business through building new marketplaces the world over and encouraging existing ones to greater prosperity. Let's face it, exchanges remain the key business model of the digital network era and indeed that's why we are optimists of the exchange business and are waking up to build and operate the markets of the future. Thank you for the inspiration, Dr. Friedman, a just speech, and thank you to my team. Wishing everyone a wonderful 10th anniversary for the Exchange Invest business, which we're going to be celebrating during the course of the year. My name is Patrick L. Young. I want to say those magic words that continue and conclude every possible end to this podcast. On that mysterious and magnificent note, I wish you all a great week in blockchain, life and markets. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state.
Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.